0: John I am an alcoholic. You know, a lot of places just give you a coffee mug, okay? This place knows what you're doing. There's only one cup. I was in Tennessee. They gave me a cup about this size, but it wasn't a very good cup. This is a good cup. And their, cup their cup, all it was, was a big uh, orange regular coffee mug they wrote Tennessee State Conference and it washed off twice in the <laughs> <laughs> this this is this is a great cup and the basket boy they gave me this big basket you know uh, and it's got a flashlight in there <laughs> in case I- we have an indoor plumbing at our place I don't know about you guys <laughs> I don't know what the flashlights for, but uh, it's got and it's got candy. It's got so much candy. I mean, tons of candy. It took me an hour to eat it. <laughs> you well, know? I go get a refill for that uh, for tomorrow. I mean, you know. I'm glad to be here. And I. I uh, it is normally I. Uh, you know, in Texas, it's really a tradition to give your sobriety date and, and, and that thing. And I normally don't do that. I have a little rebellion in me.
1: And. Uh,
0: and it really—it was accident. I had a roommate uh, that I used to like, and uh, his name's Danny Brown. Screw his anonymity. He's—he's—he's he's, he's, uh, he's down in Austin, Texas. And Danny, when I'm in a meeting with him, and it comes down, he always introduces himself as having nine more months than John A.
1: <laughs>
0: Sorry. But, uh, but my sobriety date is October 7, 1981, and I'm t- truly grateful for that. Uh, uh, I'm tickled because I want to thank the committee. It was great. Uh, they've been very, you know, very... Uh, uh, cordial and follow up and follow through and send you stuff and some conferences aren't that way and this has been a tremendous committee and I want to thank the committee for all their their work because it's really a thankless job it's a lot of work put on one of these things uh, I want to thank the Al-Anons uh, for being here <laughs> they need to be here <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry I missed the Al-Anon talk I hear it was wonderful I had to tell you this is honest to God, true sitting there when, when uh, Phantom of the Opera was on You know, it was a real hot play in New York And we're out there to see this play It took a year to get tickets A year You had to put in a year ahead To get tickets to Phantom of the Opera in, at, On Broadway So we're sitting there And it's a full house We're sitting there waiting to see Phantom of the Opera We're excited A woman comes in sits down and There's an empty seat next to her And it starts to fill up And it gets to be pretty close to time That seat's empty And the woman next to her looks over And she says Well, I wonder who's missing the show the woman said, oh, that, that was my husband's ticket. She said, well, where is he? She said, well, he, he passed away. She said, oh, she said, I'm so sorry to hear that. She said, no, it's no big deal, he's an alcoholic. She says, really? Yeah, I died a terrible death. You know, guy's always drunk, just died an alcoholic death. Never did get sober. Cried AA, never did get sober, though. She said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. She said, it's amazing you couldn't, you know, invite a friend or give it to, uh, do you have any children give it to your children or somebody like that she says no she says I really couldn't they're all attending the funeral
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> they least you with love man you know, that's just uh, I uh, I will tell you I was at a convention out in California and I never used to go to those Al-Anon uh, Media's have these Alan on Luncheons. I'd never go to them. And then at that time I was single and I thought, well, that's where the women are,
1: you
0: know. So, <laughs> <laughs> I go to this on Luncheon and it's wonderful luncheon. And I, and I want to tell you, you guys don't go, you're missing it. A lot of women at those Alan on luncheon, you know. Some of them even wear high heels instead of those popular Alan on flats, you know. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there. <laughs> I'm sitting there. Uh, Listen to this Alan on speaker from Canada that's a dear friend of mine, I've known her for quite a while, never heard her story, and she's telling her story, and she's talking about stabbing her husband in the back.
1: <laughs>
0: and she oh, she got in Alan, she was feeling bad, she was taking an amateur, telling her sponsor about that, and her sponsor shared with her that she tried to suffocate her husband.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I'm looking around this room... <laughs> I'll stick with the alcoholic woman thing. <laughs> Unbelievable I <you> was <know? laughs> a weird convention man There's a real bunch of punk rockers out there This is a big convention and They had this uh, convention center Right next to uh, And there was a mall A shopping mall Attached to the convention center right? So I'm out there in the, uh, in the convention center And I'm just in the mall Eating some frozen yogurt Saturday afternoon In between meetings People watching and uh, here come these punk rockers from AA. They have their name badge on, right? And they're punk rockers. Y'all, y'all seen those punk rockers? Yeah. They got a green spike going up this way, right? And a purple spike going straight up in here. And a, and a pink spike going out here. And he's with his girlfriend. She's dressed the same, looks the same. they're dressed kind of like the way I used to dress when I lived under the bridge, <laughs> you know? And they're in They're holding hands, walking down through the mall. I'm watching these guys from AA. And right next to me is a sunglass boutique, right? All they got in there are sunglasses. And this guy goes up and he puts on these sunglasses. And his girlfriend looks at him and she says, take those off. They make you look stupid.
1: <laughs> 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 Just a distorted
0: perception of reality. <laughs> well, No one's got that problem, Those one's got it. They got that, but you ever seen someone right next to that sunglass boutique, is this uh, accessory joint okay? They got earrings and accessories for women, you know. And they got a big sign in the window, and the sign says, <laughs> "Ears pierced while you wait." <laughs> what's the alternative to that?
1: <laughs> I don't know, what are you going to do with that?
0: <laughs> Unbelievable! Just distorted perception of reality. We got that in Dallas. I and I want to tell you, it wasn't very really funny to invite me up here on OU Weekend. <laughs> To share with you all tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 about 20 minutes. That's really cool. <laughs> we are only in the game about five, weren't we? I mean, you know. But they were down in, the tent, down in Dallas. you know They got that distorted perception. I swear to God, this is true. We can, we can share this. We're adults here. They have a new boutique down there. Honest to God, I wouldn't lie to this group about that. It's, it's called <laughs> Condoms to Go. <laughs> you can't use them there okay no I want to go crash your window on that's it
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> just distorted perception I got that distorted perception of reality okay that, that's not my fault uh, I'm an adult child of non-alcoholics <laughs> that's a bitch I, mean, I got nobody to blame, nobody, to blame you know? nobody in my family drinks they really don't Nobody drank My dad never drank Mom never drank Mother and sister don't drink I didn't drink either. I grew up in a very normal environment Very middle income America type environment Went to college Just like you're supposed to Never drank Got married in my senior year Just like you're supposed to Never drank Got out Went in the insurance business In Salt Lake City Things are going pretty good I'm in the insurance business in Salt Lake I'm scared Okay I don't know what I'm scared of But I'm, I'm afraid I mean I go to work in the morning My secretary gives me these Pink phone messages Right I said, well, what are these? She says, well, those are your phone messages. I said, who from?
1: <laughs> I, said,
0: I don't know. I said, well, what do you think they want?
1: <laughs> I,
0: said, I guess they want to buy insurance
1: <laughs>
0: from me, you know. I mean, phones are scary. are phones scary? Oh, they used to scare the hell out of me. That phone <laughs> ring, 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 ring. I'll tell you, you young alcoholics, oh, you don't have any idea how tough it is have no car ID. <laughs> we got that, that uh, answering machine so you could screen your calls but before it, it, we had none of that back at that was tough to be a drunk back then you know? <laughs> oh, I want to tell you all that technology you know that call ID and, uh, and all those voicemail that was all invented by alcoholics for alcoholics <laughs>
1: that
0: really was phones, phones, phones will scare the hell out of an alcoholic you know when you know who's on and they're calling you <laughs> it's so scary phone rings so you peek out the window I mean what, what is that? <laughs> Phone it, up. Just scary deal, scary deal. <laughs> Fine, I run to a buddy of mine, Stuart. Stuart drinks. He likes to drink, so I start hanging out in the bar with Stuart. I love the bar. God, I love the bar. I love everything about the bar. I mean, I, I like all kind of, I like dark, dingy bars. I love those bars. I like, I like, you know, cowboy bars.
1: I love cowboy
0: sawdust on the floor, you know. You can kick that sawdust on drop your peanut shell. I love cowboy bars. Just love 'em. Cow- I like those New York fern bars, you know, lots of brass and glass, ferns. And stuff. I love those bars. I like biker bars. Love bike I love to go to a biker bar in a suit, you know. I love biker they never jack with you when you're in the suit. Hell,
1: I've
0: never been in a bar I didn't like. You know, I just, I just uh, like take my act out there. So anyway. I'm, I'm hanging out at the bar with Stewart, and uh, I'm drinking Coke. He's drinking whatever he drinks. I don't know He's drinking booze. And I drink Coke. And I did that for a while. And uh, finally, when my second child was born, I had my first drunk. And it was a great drunk. I never He called me up and congratulated me. He said, she's, you know, this baby, baby girl. And he said, we well, I'm not drinking. Last. So I said, great. So I went out drinking. Had a great drunk, man. Went out to a private club you got to be a member Of a private club in Utah To do any drinking So we went to this private club Called the winery We went in there Man, we walked down These steps Walked in there Lights are fat, flashing Live band going on in there And uh, had my first It was a great drunk I, I don't know what I drank I just drank Whatever they put in front of me They bring a drink over Drink Drink's dark Dark drink got a cherry You know, you know. Drink, it drink it down Next drink's light It's light Light colored drink Got a twist around it there I just drank it down, you know, just drank. It's a great drunk, danced all night. Oh, God, did Danced with two lesbians, okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, they're out there dancing together. And I thought, probably want, probably want me to join them.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then they left together, okay, and there was alone. Oh, there's something. No rejection, you're just drunk, you know? <laughs>
1: Didn't feel bad at all. I just
0: sat down and drank the next drink sitting in front of me. You know, it's pretty easy to get rejected. That way. So got up the next morning, no hangover. Really felt pretty good. I called up Stuart. I said, Stuart, I had a ball. He said, yeah, you did. You flat got after me. I said, do you think you might go have a drink tonight? He said, I don't know. I hadn't thought about it. I'll probably stop by and have one, yeah. I said, what time? He said, well, i got to work till 3 o'clock this afternoon. I said, well, why don't I meet you about 3.30? <laughs> so I me mean at 3.30 got drunk again You know, I like to drink to get I never drank socially I never got a glass of wine or, you know, a bottle of, of uh, or, or, or some scotch and just watched the ice melt and talked to people and, and just had a drink I never drank socially I like to drink to get drunk In fact, three weeks after that first drunk I'm going to pull out in front of the liquor store at 10 in the morning Because they open They open at 10 So I'm on time and uh, <laughs> I pull up and, and I go in and I buy three little mini bottles of vodka. You know, those little mini bottles I get on the airplane. Because they told me you couldn't smell vodka. Okay, so I buy three little mini bottles of vodka. I sat in my car and I cracked it on those things and suck them down as quickly. As, that's hard to do. Hose one that big. You know, little bottles. Get a honey of sucking on those things. <laughs> suck those down. Then I'd be okay to go to work. And uh, just never make socially. And my life's changing. And people are starting to tell me. You got, a, you got a drinking problem, you know, and, and the mothers were real mad with drunk drivers. They were just getting that program off the ground, you know, and they were publishing a lot of articles about drunk drivers in the newspapers. And I read this article in a newspaper, and it said and it was about drunk drivers, and it said only one in 2,000 drunk drivers get caught. I read that, and I thought, that, that's pretty good odds.
1: <laughs>
0: one in 2,000. You know, I can drink, if I get drunk every single night for years before I get picked up, you know. I'm drinking six months to get my first DWI. I thought, Jesus, what are the odds of that?
1: <laughs> <It's> incredible. <laughs> you know.
0: So as I handcuffed me, I tried to look on the bright side, and I thought, like, well, okay. You know, I guess this means I can go, like, the next 12, 13 years before I get back to DWI, DWI you know and my life's changing bad people start telling me you're an alcoholic I say well okay what's an alcoholic how do you know you're an alcoholic what is an alcoholic I asked Stuart I said Stuart do you think I'm an alcoholic Stuart said well I don't know do you like the way alcohol tastes I said no he said well then you're not an alcoholic
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: well thank God for that you know? he explained to me that alcoholics like the way it tastes he says, if you truly like the way it tastes, then you got a problem. I said, Well, I don't like the way it tastes. I just like to get drunk. <laughs> says, then don't worry about
1: it. <laughs> so my wife's telling
0: me I'm an alcoholic. My parents are telling me I'm an alcoholic, they tell me I have this drinking. I said, Well, what, what's an alcoholic? How do you know you're an alcoholic? Can we? They said, it's a disease. Don't worry, it's a disease. I said, okay, then let's go to the doctor, find out. Let's get a proper diagnosis of this. They said, Well, we can't do that. Oh. Uh, Sure. We can't go, like, can't we go, like, you know, do some blood work, do some blood analysis? Find out if you're a real alcoholic? No, we can't do that. Well, how do you know you're an alcoholic? Can't we go get, like, a CAT scan, MRI, something like that to, you know, make sure we got this disease? No, we, we, we can't do that. Well, how do you know you're an alcoholic? Oh, yeah, here's the deal. Y'all want me to quit drinking. Okay, what happens 20 years from now, I find out I'm not
1: alcoholic. <laughs> I've been well,
0: 20 years. I could have been drinking. I'm not going to take that kind of risk. And they said, "Well, you drink too much." soon as they told me I drank too much, I knew I wasn't an alcoholic. Can I ever drink too much in my life? Okay. In fact, I'll tell you the truth. There's not an alcoholic in this room that ever drank too much. It's impossible. For an alcoholic to drink too much can't happen. Okay? See, I am an alcoholic, but not because I drank too much. I'm an alcoholic because I could never drink enough.
1: <laughs>
0: Did you ever drink enough in your life? No. Oh, yeah, I see some alcoholic from this group. You go, go to the bar, sit down and have a couple cocktails. Bartender says, would you care another cocktail? Oh, <laughs> Oh, golly. Uh, I think I've had
1: enough (laughs) Church tomorrow and everything I don't want to be late
0: for that Uh, I've had enough Never had enough I go to the bar, get drunk right? Wreck my car, get a ticket, go to jail What happens when you get out of jail? Yeah, make it thirsty being locked up like
1: that. I
0: can't drink enough. I, I go about a stool. We get there at noon, right? We're there at noon we're drinking in the bar at noon, standing on the bar stool, right? Now it's midnight. We've been drinking twelve hours in the same bar, right? And we're drunk, and how do we know we're drunk, we're talking about it. Stuart. God, I'm drunk. Me too. Can I buy another drink? (laughs) Hadn't had enough. Well, if you can't drink enough, it's impossible to drink too much. You'll never do it. See, normal drinkers, (laughs) y'all, can drink enough. And occasionally, but not very often, they might drink too much. But if you're an alcoholic like I'm an alcoholic and you can't drink enough, You'll never drink too much. And when they told me you drink too much, I never an alcoholic. I never forget. Six seven it's been longer than that Ten years ago. A buddy of mine invited me over to his house. Okay, I'm single and he wanted me to meet this girl. He and his wife he might line me up this Sunday afternoon Two, They said, come over, we're gonna barbecue, lay around the pool. I'm the only they're not alcoholics. So I go over there, there are three of them in the kitchen. There's Steve and his wife, and this girl I'm gonna meet. So we go in there and they're in the kitchen. They're fussing in the kitchen. And they got this, they got one bucket of ice. And a bottle of champagne in the bucket. And I said, "What? What's this?" She says, "Oh, that's our champagne." I said, "What? what are you gonna do with it?" And he says, "Well, you got a puzzle." It. He says, "Well, the girls wanted they, they kind of wanted to have mimosas. <laughs> They're gonna mix it, right? They're gonna mix it with orange juice, okay?" <laughs> and I said, "Really?" He said, "Yeah." I said, Is that all right? I said, "What?" Well? I said, "How many bottles you got?" <laughs> He says, just the one, why? I said, hell, it's your party.
1: <laughs>
0: so we barbecue, we lay on the pool, getting ready to leave, right? Getting ready to leave, at 6.30 at night. Had a great time, getting ready to leave, and they're cleaning up in the kitchen. I noticed all three of them gathered around this bucket, fussing with this bucket. I said, well, what are you all doing? Steve looks up and says, oh, John, you're an alcoholic. you don't know how to do this. How do we recork this bottle?
1: <laughs> I
0: said, so I don't have a clue how to recork the bottle. You have to recork the bottle, you know, I'm embarrassed for these people. Three of them all day long can't knock off. One immediately bottle of champagne. Okay? I drank a 12-pack of Diet Coke at the same time, you know. Unbelievable. But see, they had had enough. And then we're done. Okay? But if you're an alcoholic, like I'm an alcoholic, you can't drink enough. It's impossible to do it. In fact, when they tell me that I drink too much and that I'm an alcoholic, it makes no sense whatsoever. Because when I drink, it's incredible what happens. It's like a little bomb that goes off and it fills every pore. And I am really happy, joyous, and free when I'm drinking. Totally happy, joyous, and free. But when I'm sober, when I'm not drinking, man, I'm driven by a hundred forms of fear. I, I'm a restless, irritable discontent. And you want me to quit drinking. When, when I'm drinking, I'm happy, joyous. In fact, when I'm drinking, you know those promises in the book comes after step nine? In the big book of Alchemy's we've got those promises after step nine. It's amazing what happens. When I drink, the illusion of those promises come true in my life. Every single time. Without fail. The promises come true in my life when I'm drinking. It's amazing. I don't know about you, but after that first drink, I begin to know a new freedom and a new happiness. (laughs) And after three or four drinks, I don't know about you, but that fear of financial insecurity just kind of slips away. (laughs)
1: You
0: know? And after about six, seven drinks, I don't know about you, but I intuitively know how to handle situations. <laughs> it's hard for them. You know? Happens every single time. And I know about you, after about 12 drinks, it becomes clear that how is doing for me what I can't do for myself. <laughs> you know? Now, here's the truth, guys. When I first came into AA and they read me those promises, I thought, what kind of lightweight Mickey Mouse promises that guy? I got to quit drinking just to get that you know, that's not what I really wanted was a job you know, some money girlfriend, (laughs) a place to live that kind of thing the truth is I have always my whole life I have insisted and demanded those promises alcohol gave me those promises you can go through every one of them alcohol did that it gave me those promises I've insisted on having them and if I don't find a way to have those promises come true in my life today without drinking, I will drink again. It's that, that's what the program does. Is It gives you a way to have those promises come true without drinking because you need them. And you insist on them, you demand them, and you're going to go get them. And if you have to drink to get them, you will drink. And what the program does is it gives you a way to have those promises in your life without drinking. I didn't know any of that then. Didn't know any of that then. All I knew was that, man, why would I quit? When is when giving you those promises, why would you? And, we, and we're amazed at denial. Denial, by the way, we're not in denial. That's not even in the book. You won't even find denial in the book. You know, what we are in is delusion. <laughs> we're delusional. Don't you love that? Yeah. I would say, we're up to denial. We're making progress. <laughs> 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 we really are <laughs> delusion means that you don't know the difference between fantasy and reality you don't know the difference denial means you just don't accept reality <laughs> there's a big difference between being in delusion and being in denial so I, I, it's really true. when we get up to denial we're making progress and uh, I didn't know, any of that. didn't know any of that all I knew was that it was working for me and you want me to quit that makes no sense at all it makes no sense to the practicing alcoholic. Why would you give that up? I'm not going to do it. Now, I had a lot of problems. Had an awful lot of problems. Alcohol wasn't one of them. And finally, my brother talked to me. He said, you gotta, you got to straight up and fly right because the folks think you're crazy. They're going to lock you up. they got the judge ready to commit you. They're going to lock you up. And that's when I figured out my real problem. Utah, at a high altitude. <laughs> it really is. It's up in the mountains. Right up in the mountains, high altitude. Scientific fact: people who live at high altitudes for prolonged periods of time have thinner blood than people who live at low altitudes. Trust, I saw on the Discovery Channel. It's true. Well, you party hard on thin blood, you have a problem. What I need is get to sea level, thicken up my blood. I'd be okay. I called a buddy of mine lives in Seattle at sea level. Tell me about his problems I got. He said, Mine, why don't you take a year out, come up here, kind of put your life back together. I said, I don't want to pose on you and, you know, Gail, your wife, and your five kids.
1: He said, No one position,
0: So I'll be there Tuesday, you know. And move to Seattle. I was not do anything in Seattle, I'm just living in Seattle. And doing a little drinking, walking around, on thickening on the blood. And uh, the natural thing you want to do in any of that condition. Uh, you don't want to gamble. <laughs> Best time to gamble is when you're unemployed, without a doubt. Best time to
1: gamble.
0: <laughs> so I'm, they have poker players up there. It was legal to play poker, so I started playing poker, and I thought, if you're a hot shot and a high fire like me, big, big shot, you want to be where the real action is, and back then it was in Nevada. So I should run down and play in the casinos in Nevada. Then I thought, who am I kidding? I might as well just move to Nevada. That's in the desert, that's low, sea level. So I moved down there, bounced around Las Vegas, and I ended up in Tahoe, Reno area. I'm living up there, not doing anything, just doing a little drinking, playing a little poker, working on thickening up my blood. Yeah. And a buddy of mine called me from Utah, wanted me to come back for a weekend. Shouldn't have gone, doing real good. Doing real good. But I go back there, we met at a place called the One More Time Club. <laughs> and uh,
1: man,
0: I, I, I ran into her. She was sitting at the bar waiting. I knew I knew she was always sitting at the bar waiting for me. And I met her, found out what her name was. fell in love I want to take her out on a date she couldn't go out Saturday or Sunday had to stay until Monday take her out on a date so we go out Monday that Monday was October 6 1981 we're out on a stay as a bad date you know you got a bad date you know when you invite them to go to dinner and then they really want to eat okay (laughs) So she's eating and I'm drinking. Well, I never eat when I drink, you know. And so, but I'm a gentleman. So every time I order a meal, whisk scared over her a glass of wine. Well, the woman ain't keeping up. Her wine's stacking up on her.
1: <laughs>
0: so to keep from being embarrassed, I drink my whiskey and drink her wine. You know, it's just a bad, bad day. <laughs> Finally, she says uh, she wanted to go home. I want to take her home. There
1: you
0: go. <laughs> I took her home, dropped her off, knocked on Price's door. It was 10 o'clock, 10.30. He opened the floor, I thought you had a date that damn woman I went in and I had I bought a gallon of wine because she told me she liked the wine so I bought a gallon and she never even drank any of it so I drank that wine all night and I said now tomorrow night we're going to go out we're going to hit this town one more time then I got to get out of here this up to drink is going to get me in trouble you know <laughs> so we go out October 7, 1981 we go out drinking and uh, went to the fashion show at the Hilton I remember the fashion show and then I blacked out blacked out a lot some blackouts are real scary some aren't too bad I think what determines how bad it is is how long you're blacked out you know and the conditions of when, that you're in when you come out of the blackout and uh, I wasn't blacked out a real long time but I came out at the worst time oh without a doubt those of you that blackout out know this is the worst there's not even second's not even close okay the worst time to come out of the blackout is when you're talking to the cops <laughs> you don't have a clue where you are in the you, know, I mean, you don't know why they stopped you what they know what they don't know I mean it's just you gotta figure all that out and act, act sober at the same time it's just a terrible time to come out of a blackout and I finally found out they were one of my driver's license. okay well I didn't have a driver's license they're taking that three DWIs earlier you
1: know
0: so I'm trying to explain to the cop I'm just leave my car parked and I'm going to walk that's what, I'm going right over there what, I'm going right over there leave my car parked here appreciate your concern but I'll just walk over there and I'll pick my car up tomorrow and finally they ran my license plate found out who I was arrested me and I'm in jail and I don't like lockup. and this time they're really mad okay because <laughs> I can't even bond out first time I've been there I couldn't bond out see I knew the system I knew the deal you get arrested you plead not guilty right no matter what you're arrested for not guilty and then you go to the OR lady or person and, and back then drunk stuff you get out of there on your OR sometimes post I think the biggest bond I ever post was 50 bucks post small bond they set a court date you get an attorney and you start that postponing process right it's just a process you postpone 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 finally when you can no longer postpone you postpone about a year and the attorney says tomorrow we go to court we can no longer postpone we go to court tomorrow you know then you want to be sure the day before court move (laughs) (laughs) that's what I did I moved I never went to court I just moved Okay. so I had all these failure to appears so says no we're not letting you out you don't come back <laughs> you're going to court this time so. I, I don't like a lockup. I really don't like to be locked up never met anybody that did and, uh, and I went out can't get out finally a buddy of mine named Stan Stan didn't know anything about AA didn't know anything about alcoholics no, a, a dear friend of mine he comes down to see me and he says had yeah, a lot of money, a lot of influence, and only since we grew up together. And uh, he says, "I've talked to some people. We can get you out." They said, "I'm not gonna do that because you're sick. You are sick, and you need help. And the only way I'll get you out of here is if you promise me you'll go to treatment and get some help because you need help." And I said, oh, "Stan, bless you. You are so right." I don't know what it is, this this overwhelming compulsion, I guess I'm an alcoholic, Stan? This is overwhelming compulsion, over me to get drunk and I get drunk and I go to those bars and get in all kinds of trouble and I don't want to do that and I want help but I can't get any in here. And he says, well I'll get you out. So I get out of jail. Now I have no intention of not drinking. I didn't want to quit. I'm not going to quit. I'm just getting out of jail and I'll do or say anything to get out of jail. So he, uh, he gets me out, I had to stay at his place. Next morning he throws me the yellow pages says, so you're going to know where you want to go, but you got to go to treatment. So I'm looking at the yellow pages. I find the treatment centers. They have a lot of treatment centers. And I find the treatment center, and I call them up, and I said, I need to come in for a little treatment. The <laughs> <laughs> person says, uh, well, do you have any insurance? <laughs> no, no, I, don't have, I haven't worked for three and a half years. I don't have any insurance, you know. It's well, it's $12,000. <laughs> I said, hell, I don't want to stay all year, you know. <laughs> and I couldn't believe that. It was very frustrating. On the Monday, I, went, I called I come this one place, I wanted $18,000. I was so frustrated, I said, honey, listen, if I had $18,000, I wouldn't need your goddamn treatment.
1: <laughs>
0: it was unbelievable what they wanted for treatment. I finally come this one place, and I said, I need to come in for a little treatment. The guy says, okay. I said, well, how much is it? She's a salesperson, so she says, well, when you check in here, you get room, board, and therapy, both individual and group therapy. And uh, it's nine bucks a day. And when you check in and we apply for food stamps. And we credit those food stamps to the bill. And then if you work around here, we give you some assignments, it's it's so uh, we, we pay a buck fifty a day. Back then you can buy cigarettes for buck fifty a pack. You can buy cigarettes for those, or you could apply it to the bill and take it down to about five bucks a day. I couldn't believe it. I said, how long is your waiting list? So those other places that wanted $12,000, 18000 they had 30 to 60 day waiting lists. I said, how long is your waiting list? And she said, well, we have a, we have a bed for you tonight. I said, so, I don't really need to come tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I have got to come and now i got a problem this place okay think about that they got bargain rates nine bucks a day room board therapy they can't fill their beds okay now they're high pressure for me to get me to come in okay I'm to so assume I got my rights I said honey listen you make my reservation for Saturday you just forget the whole damn deal you
1: know?
0: so she made my reservation for Saturday and I didn't drink I don't know why I didn't drink just didn't drink Saturday came drove down there, parked parking in the parking lot I sat in that parking lot for hours watching him go in and out of there, in and out of there. I wanted to see you know what kind of person goes to a nine dollar day jitter joint
1: you
0: know <laughs> so I watched them go in and out of there all the time. and you know what those guys were doing? they were alcoholics they were, you could tell looking at him. <laughs> no wonder he's going look at him he's an alcoholic he looks like an alcoholic supposed to look they didn't look like y- y'all don't look like alcoholics the guys going in there belong in there they look like alcoholics And I wasn't an alcoholic But it fit my budget So I checked in You know <laughs> nothing happened On Saturdays, Just filled out A bunch of paperwork Got my bed Nice place Saturday Sunday came Had my first exposure To Alcoholics Anonymous Two guys from outside Come in We sat around Lunch tables like this 36 of us They're all men The men's trial joined And uh, these two guys Chaired the meeting They talked They talked for a while I didn't hear a thing They said Because I'm busy Watching everybody else Trying to figure out How you do A.A. 'Cause I'm a real chameleon. If I can figure out how you do AA, then I can go do AA, right? So I'm watching everybody else, trying to figure out what they do, how do you do AA? I figure that out, then I go do AA. So these guys talked. Everybody else sat there, smoked cigarettes, drank coffee. They started down the row. First guy introduced himself. Said, "My name's Joe B. I'm alcoholic. I'll pass." Second guy said, "Well, I'm Jim S. I'm alcoholic. I'll just pass." I caught on real quick. What what they do in AA? They give their first name, last initial, admit to the group they're alcoholic, and then they pass. There's something magical about that. If they admit, it's got to be they had it printed on the wall, admitted you're powerless over alcohol, that must be the deal. If you admit to the group you're an alcoholic, it's like, take that burn alcoholism off your shoulder, sit down, you'll be okay. So it got to me, I did it right. I said, my name is John A., and I'm an alcoholic, and I'll pass. Nothing happened nothing I thought well like, obviously I'm not an alcoholic and if I am AA's got nothing to offer me AA's only for simple minded people it's not for any serious thinkers you know anybody with any brains and education but it's only simple minded people that go to AA now as distorted a perception as that is of Alcoholics Anonymous that was my perception of Alcoholics Anonymous Same for me you know on Monday got me and my counselor Dale lovely lady Talked to Dell for a long time. Beautiful. She wanted me to stay two weeks, or oh, excuse me, she want to stay two months. Stay out. two months. I said, Dell, 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 Dell.
1: Okay,
0: I've been here all weekend. Okay. I've been talking to these folks, they're alcoholics, I have no reason, they look like they probably are alcoholics, they've told me they are. You know, and they've told me how the program works here. And that first month, how that first month you're gonna break me down. Okay? You're gonna get me to open up and be honest. I said, let me save a month right there because I've always been open and honest in, every, in all my affairs but I've just skipped out I'm open and honest I'm like a book you just read me I'll tell you that, everything about uh, I've got a great mind I read real fast did real well in school you can get my transcripts if you want we can go get those did real well in school and uh, it's like a photographic memory it's scary so remember everything you know uh, and I'm busy I can't stay two, two months I can't stay two months I'm too busy she said you're busy and I said yes she said well where are you working <laughs> well I'm not <laughs> but I'm busy isn't that true about us
1: after i the most
0: busy unemployed people you ever want to meet you know Monday go to your meeting go to your meeting Monday now the guy's unemployed he's got nothing to do all day long be it till the meeting and he's late He <laughs> said, where have you been oh, hell I've been busy <laughs> I don't know what we do but we're busy doing it you know we really are so, so I'll said, give you two weeks Dale that's it two weeks because I'm not going to quit drinking I'm not quitting drinking, but I just figured treatment time is better than jail time, you know, and I figured two weeks will fulfill my commitment to stand and get back to Reno, and get off my life. They don't tell anybody that, but that's what I'm doing. And I said, so you give me whatever books you're going to study during that, you know, two-month period. I'll read ahead, and you give me some pop quizzes if you want. I don't care. For two weeks, I'm out of here. So she said, well, we'd better hurry with you. <laughs> I was on my Tuesday I got to go to group, group ther- love group love group therapy Wednesday alcoholic education seminar <laughs> don't show them sure a movie I don't like movies about drug addiction and alcoholism I find them boring even the day I find them boring you know I did like we watched just last night we watched that 28 days you know, that was kind of funny. I, I hate that channel. Don't you hate that channel? I don't know. Do they do that in treatment centers now? They sit around and sing goodbye to people. Leave it to me. Give me a break. Do they do that in treatment centers now? They didn't back then. But anyway, so, uh, but I don't like these movies. So I'm, I'm bored with them. Don't watch them. And uh, so I'm sitting there and they're showing a movie. The name of the movie was called uh, I'll Quit Tomorrow. So I'm watching this movie, and all my ego and all my contempt prepared not to like this movie. I'm watching the movie. It tore me apart. I couldn't believe it. It was like they'd made a movie of my life, and they were showing it to the group. I mean, I related to everything in that movie. I talked like that guy talked. I dressed like that guy dressed. I acted like that guy acted. I drank. I drank like that guy drank. I related to everything that went on in that movie. It's like they'd made a movie in my life and they were showing it to the group. And I knew the gig was up. So I related. That was my moment of clarity when I knew the gig was up. What happened to me that night is I quit looking for that definition. What's an alcoholic? How do you know you're an alcoholic? I quit looking for that definition. I later found out in Alcoholics Anonymous, said we don't have a definition of an alcoholic. I could not define an alcoholic for you tonight. What we have in AA is a description. So you can't argue with the description. You can argue with the definition. That's why Webster's got ten definitions for every word, right? But you can't argue with the description. The most powerful tool God has given Alcoholics Anonymous is our description of the alcoholic. Because it's that description that seems to have the power to literally strip everything that separates the alcoholic from himself as you relate to it. And I could see me that night like I'd never seen me. I could see me that night like Mac's wife saw me. I could see me that night like, like my mother saw me. The difference was as I related to that story, I could see me. And I knew the gig was up. It's my moment of clarity. The most powerful tool we have is that description. think how important that description is two thirds of a book two thirds of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is descriptions of alcoholics in the stories I mean, why don't they put all those stories in there? To, just to make a big book? <laughs> <laughs> no! Is that important? As you relate to the description of the alcoholic because that description that seems to have the power to literally strip everything that separates the alcoholic from himself as you relate to it and your story is in the book and your story will be told in the meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous if you don't hear it you're not going to enough meetings keep going because it will be told and, uh, and I knew the gig was up and I wasn't happy about it a lot of times you'll hear from the podium they said, oh, I felt so relieved when I was at home you know, that was not my experience I was pissed you know? and I was scared to death and I cried all night because I know I'm an alcoholic now. My God, I can't drink. i I got to go get a job. You know? And how am I going to function in a world that I'm scared to death of? And I cried all night. And I stayed there six weeks. Couldn't stay two months. Too busy, you know. But I didn't stay six weeks. And I got out of there. When I got out of there, they said, now you need aftercare. You need aftercare. But you're in an arena worth. That's 800 miles to Salt Lake too far to come over here three times a week for aftercare. So here's your prescription for aftercare. You go to AA. They gave me simple office number in Reno, Nevada. So I got back there the first December. <laughs> it was Thursday. I called AA up. Guy answered the phone. I said, my name is John A. And I'm an alcoholic. Guy okay, said, well, I'm Bruce. I'm an alcoholic. And I knew two things when I got back there. I knew I was an alcoholic and I didn't want to drink. Okay, I knew that. And I also knew... A.A. had nothing to offer. Okay? I mean, because you go there, you give your first name, last initial, admit you're an alcoholic, and then pass. Okay? I've done that. Why do I, keep... I know I'm an alcoholic. Okay? Jesus. You know, it's ridiculous. But I don't want a drink, so I call him on the phone him I'm in town. I so, said, my name's John A. I'm an alcoholic. I said, I'm Bruce. I'm an alcoholic. What do you do for John? I said, well, I just got out of treatment. It's said, like. I'm living here in Reno. I want to call and check in. I thought they had my on a computer you know if you don't check in they p- put out one out failure to appear so, so he said well I'm glad you're here he so said you want to go to a meeting tonight I said yeah yeah I'll go to a meeting you know you probably want to meet me
1: said, so I'm not going tonight
0: he says it's Thursday there's a men's stag meeting at at casino 3rd, floor, steering starts at 8.30 I said okay well I'll be there I'll be there all early so we can meet he said I'm not going I said, he said, well, I said, well, call them and let them know that I'm coming. <laughs> he said, don't worry, they'll be there. So I show up, quarter after eight, first resentment, an alcoholic anonymous. I called, made reservations, told them I'm coming. <laughs> they didn't know I'm coming. Just some guys smoking a cigarette, drinking coffee, waiting for a meeting. Pretty soon, guy, he made up the chair. Red looked like an alcoholic. <clears throat> he talked for a while. And then they started down the road. And these guys talked, and they did, they did not, I don't know what they talked about. There's nothing we talked about in treatment. They didn't pass. They were talking. Okay? And I have no idea what they're talking about. And some of them didn't even introduce themselves right. You know, some of them didn't give their last initial. They said, My name's John, I'm alcoholic. I said, Guy to give his last initial to his name.
1: <laughs> Synonymous
0: program, the guy's giving us his last name. <laughs> <life. laughs> I know I first I'm, I could look up in the phone book if I wanted to. <laughs> So I tried not to look at those guys. I thought, if they don't respect their anonymity, I will.
1: <laughs> I said, half this
0: week, I mean, nobody mentioned we really have an X-Y chromosome deficiency. I thought, how are they going to stay sober? Well, I known that stuff. It became clear to me, these guys obviously have not been to treatment. <laughs> you know, so it got to me, I thought I'd help. And I qualified, I did it right to, you. I said, my name is John A. And I am an alcoholic. Now I qualified. I said, Listen, I just got a treatment over in Salt Lake City. And I want you to know I have the latest, most up to date medical and psychological information on the disease. So my secretary said, Red Cup and I said, Thank you, John. We're on to the next guy.
1: <laughs>
0: son of a bitch is jealous. <laughs> I know stuff he don't know. That's his problem out there. At least some guys from shook my hand. They said, We hope you come back. I said, I'll be back. You know, they need me
1: down
0: there. <laughs> now, Chuck Chamberlain used to always say, "Man, as my teacher, some people teach me what to do, some people teach me what not to do." Okay? Please keep in mind, most of what I share is what not to do. Okay? Because I've done it all wrong. Isn't that amazing? You can do it wrong as long as you don't drink. You get 19 years. <laughs> <You know? laughs> you better do a few things right, though. Anyway, so I'm, I'm, uh, I don't know what I was when they said 90 meetings in 90 days. It's not what I did. Never heard that. But I did, I did one meeting a week, every Thursday. That one I was then i live on the sheriff. But I keep going back. I said, I'm a hell of a lot younger than Roy, he's gonna die when I get the
1: sheriff. <laughs> you know?
0: And let me tell you what happens when you go to one meeting a week if you haven't tried that. Let me tell you what happens. They, this is one thing that, true this is true they taught me this in treatment they said John don't drink ok man if you don't drink you'll feel better that's it Just you don't drink you're going to feel better that's true They see nobody explained to me what that meant if you don't drink you will feel better you're going to feel all the pain all the anger all the resentment you're going to feel that shit a whole lot better actually. you know so I'm walking around feeling better going nuts
1: <laughs> I drink
0: when I feel better you know I don't like to feel that stuff so I'm down there so my men stag me Thursday it was Christmas Eve Thursday was Christmas Eve I remember my men stagging me Christmas Eve and they announced they said now tomorrow's Christmas Day you got nowhere to go for Christmas dinner you can go to the drivers club skidded clubhouse over on Wall Street so I thought great we'll go to that and get that nowhere to go so I went there to the driver's club on Christmas ate it was good I'm sitting drinking a cup of coffee, smoking cigarette. Here comes a guy. You can see him coming across the room, you know. Watch him come over here. Oh, God, what's he going to want? He's not my kind of guy. Old guy. A fat old guy. Okay? Big nose. Real, nothing hip, slick and cool about him at all. He's got real funny hair. He's not my kind of guy. Yeah? But he's over talking to me. He only got talking to him. I'm talking His name's Don. He's a coordinator in a group. He lets me know that right up front. My uh, hierarchy of AA is talking to me now.
1: <laughs> and, uh,
0: so I'm talking to Don. I became clear close talking to Don for a few minutes. Don had not been to treatment. <laughs> so I start to tell Don all about the stuff that we're not going to talk about in my home group. Okay? He gets a friendly look on his face and he says, Would well, you like to go to a meeting with me tonight? I said, Well, hell, Don, it's Friday. <laughs> to go Thursday over he says we got a meeting every night in Reno and in that month I'd been going to AA I'd heard something about spiritual this is a spiritual program okay okay spiritual program it is Christmas I can go twice this week it won't hurt So this guy, I don't like it picks takes me, me out to say, state hospital. I got a meeting out of the hospital on Friday night at 7 o'clock. We got to say hospital, walk in, and they, they give you a, a raffle ticket. And at the end of the meeting, they raffle off a big book or bill season. I think I got a raffle ticket, walked in the meeting. There were women. There were, first A, meeting, I meant to women in the meeting. I didn't know they let them in. <laughs> 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 Maybe they got that in the home group. You know, like, oh, why would you go on Thursdays when you come over here on Friday? You
1: know? <laughs> Incredible
0: man. I thought it was a man's deal. I didn't know really that women in I thought it was a man's deal.
1: Man,
0: women in that group is wonderful. So I got my seat, sat down. They sort of, I don't know what to talk about because I'm busy. Like I'm a raffle ticket. I'm busy praying. Okay, because I don't have a great mind and I read real fast. Okay, I had forgot to get a big book. Now, this is it, man. I'm winning the big book tonight. I'm the only guy here without a big book. It's my big book. I'm going to win it. So I'm praying. All out I prayed for that book. By the time that meeting's over, God can give that book to nobody but me. Nobody's been praying like I've been praying for that book. I want the book. It's mine. <laughs> so at the end of the meeting, they went to have the raffle raffle off the big book. Third resentment now. Couldn't be some little lady, twenty-five years sober, wins my book. <laughs> What's she doing wearing my book? She got five at home cutting dust. Can't see the reef so old. Wins my book, you know. I'm storming out of there before I get out of there that comes up and gives me that book that's where I got my big book okay? I took it home that night and uh, I used to say I took it home that night and I read it from cover to cover okay? so if you ever heard me say that years ago
1: okay,
0: or if you ever get hold of an old, old tape or I said that on the tape did I say that on that tape you <laughs> please keep in mind when I said that uh, they took it home and When I said that, hell I believed it.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and then I got involved in a big book still. You wouldn't believe the chapters they got in that book. I mean, it's just most They had a chapter in the book, you know, chapter to the wives. Okay? Well, I wasn't a wife, didn't have a wife, didn't want a wife. Okay? Didn't read that chapter. Okay? They a chapter in there, a chapter to the employer. Hell I'm not an employee, okay? Didn't read that chapter. Okay? They have one that called We Agnostics. I wasn't agnostic. I knew God real well. Okay. Didn't read that chapter. Yeah. Well, you know, if you just read chapter three and chapter five, and you need to read that book, and I won't take you on the
1: <laughs> <laughs> Next day, this
0: guy calls me, takes me. Every day, this guy's calling me, taking me to a meeting. I don't want to go. Okay, but he doesn't ask. He calls me up and says, "Pick up in twenty minutes." But hang up. <laughs> you know what? if I don't what's he going to do he's going to talk about me behind my back to other AAs so i got to go protect myself you know as soon as my I stand around waiting for him to pick me up he doesn't just taking that to me so I'm going to a meeting interesting thing happened the only change in my life I didn't have a sponsor then I had to look no steps then the only change is I'm going to a meeting every single day interesting thing happened I not only feel better but I start to feel good. And I haven't felt those two things at the same time in years. The only change is meeting every day. And all of a sudden, sobriety, man, started to put on flesh and bones. I started started hanging out at an inner group. Meeting other alcoholics, getting ready to go to the meeting. And I was was excited to go to the meeting. And I was embarrassed about that. Because i think, oh, God, how embarrassing. I'm 30 goddamn years old and I'm excited about going to ice cream. (laughs) And i what's really bugging me. I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen and I'm scared because I know that sooner or later they're going to ask me to go bowling. And the real disgusting discussing is, I'm going to go. You know? I'm excited about it. I mean, they're alcoholics. Man, I've got an interview with as It's Thursday. A week later, it's New Year's Eve. I'm an inner group, man. I'm pumped up. I'm feeling good and feeling better. I'm an inner group type We're gonna to go to the men's stag meeting that night. Phone ring, intergroup. I grabbed the phone. Young kid named Glenn. Glenn's 17. He wants to know how to stay sober on New Year's Eve. I said, why? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Glenn, Glenn, you're 17. It's New Year's Eve. <laughs> well, can
1: you win down? Call tomorrow, we'll be here.
0: Don <laughs> grabs that phone away from me. <laughs> the central office you had six months of more to answer the phone it's still the have six so Don talked I he said gave me his phone number did not give me my phone number the next day Don calls me and says hey Glenn stayed sober last night wants to go to a meeting." I thought great so Don comes and gets me and we're doing 12 step work now baby we go to Glenn take Glenn state hospital I'm a big one so we're getting out there we're driving the car and damn it Don does not know how to make a 12 step He's just driving the car. He's not saying that, he's not preparing Glenn for AA. He's not telling Glenn any information about AA. He's just driving the car. The hell I gotta do it all. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: so I start preparing. I said, Glenn you're gonna love this meme, man. We're gonna to get to the meeting. They're gonna be women at your first meeting. I don't know they were there for months but you get women right out of the shoot, man you're going to want to come back here every single Friday. and when we get there Glenn you're going to they're going to give us a raffle ticket okay we are going to give raffle ticket and then the meeting are going to raffle off a big book or a dual season something like that you want and if God loves you you'll win the book Don doesn't say well Don just drives us to the meeting we got to the meeting I don't know what to talk about because I'm busy praying for Glenn. (laughs) Glenn, if Glenn can just win this book, won't that be proof of God working in his life? Hell, he'll stay sober forever. With proof like that. And not that it matters, but of course, you know, I would have a 100% 12-step call success rate. (laughs) And I'll write articles about it. (laughs) <laughs> Put them in the great plan. How to have 100% 12-step call success rate. You know? It'd be wonderful. Bring everybody I 12-step to this mean, They win the book, they'll stay sober and just be great. So they have the mean at the end of the meeting when they had the raffle, raffle off the big book. Okay? I won the big book.
1: <laughs>
0: Don turns to me and says, see how that works? I see. Yeah, I finally gave it to Glenn. That's where Glenn got his big book. Okay? And Glenn's sober today. Uh, because i have given that big book. That's why now that little experience early in my sobriety taught me a lot because it taught me how God works because God works through people okay whenever God works it's a win-win situation and God works through people see by working through people there are always two winners always two winners when God works see I could have won the big book that first night there'd been one winner me but the little lady won by being able to share with me and I won by being able to receive from her two winners week later two winners I won by being able to share with Glenn and Glenn won by being able to receive from me God works through people see by working through people he gets twice the result for the same effort you know he magnifies his work by working through people God works through people That's also taught me how Alcoholics Anonymous works Alcoholics Anonymous is one drunk one drunk sharing with another and then when that happens that's the magic of our deal guys when one drunk shares with another. You can't replace what happens with that. It's magic. And there are two winners, the drunk doing the sharing and the drunk doing the receiving, when one drunk shares with another. See, I've shared that story a thousand times in 19 years. And every time I share that story, I remember that moment of clarity. When I'm in that jitter joint and I know the gig is up. I remember like it happened yesterday I'm convinced that everyone here that's sober and alcoholic anonymous tonight has had that moment of clarity when you knew the gig was up I'm equally convinced that those that come to AA for a while and leave after drinking tonight they had that moment of clarity what's the difference between those of us that have come and stayed and those of us that have left we both had that moment of clarity what I think happens in Alcoholics Anonymous is really pretty simple. What we do in here is we keep that moment alive. We keep it alive. Because I've shared my moment with you of what it was like and what happened. I remember like it happened yesterday. And whatever you thought about it as you read it to it. And by the way, when I'm on that side of the podium, one, and one of y'all is up here, and you remember your moment, you're sharing with us what your moment was like. What am I thinking I'm so selfish and self-centered. Isn't this the perfect program for people whose root problem is they're selfish, self-centered? Because when you're up here remembering your moment, I'm so self-centered. What am I thinking about? <laughs> My moment. Screw your deal. Yeah. <laughs> we keep it alive. And nowhere can you keep that moment alive, but when one drunk shares with another. We keep it alive. Because what happens if you lose your moment, you take drunk. We keep it alive. And here's the magic of the deal, man. That moment normally happens before you get to AA. See, we assume you've had that in here. You've had that moment before you get to AA, most of the time. The proof is your last drunk. I'm going to bet a lot of money. You didn't know your last drunk was your last drunk. Hell, if I would have, if I had known my last drink, I'd have done it differently. <laughs> you know? What happened? I don't know. I had no idea my last drink was my last drink. Many times I thought it was my last drink. Many times I said, OK, this week I'm going to it out, Monday, boom, no more, I'm done. And then by Tuesday, they, hey, I was pretty immature, you know, pretty immature of me to make that decision. <laughs> and I'd replay that and replay that but my last drunk I had no idea my last drunk was my last drunk no idea you know happens before it gets you I mean think about how you got here people wake up and all of a sudden they an ad on TV you know call this number and they call it <laughs> or the, the books open and there's a the number of there for some reason there was a slip of paper with a number written on, on top of the desk we've got a guy down there in Dallas Texas right now I used to go to Trinity Group Trinity Group's a, 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 kind of a it's in a storefront and they got no money so they paint the windows black right and because uh, they don't have any money for curtains or anything so they paint the windows black I'm in there before the meeting starts a guy comes in to get a drink he thinks it's a bar he thinks Trinity needs a bar so he comes in to get a drink You know, it's been over 13 years. How does that work? You know, how does that work? You know, but when one drunk shares with another, we keep that moment alive. That's the incredible thing that happens. And we can't explain it. We don't know how it works. You know? And that's what makes it a miracle. Because you can't explain the miracle. If you could explain it, it wouldn't be a miracle. And God works through miracles. You know? I mean, think what would happen. Think what would happen if Moses tried to explain his miracles. Can't you see that? Moses is there. Now, he's got children of Israel. They were down hell captive in Egypt for 231 years. A lot of people didn't know that. Okay? I know that. Moses comes along. <laughs> great deliverer. He's going to take the children of Israel out of Egypt back to the Promised Land. Okay, right? Did you all see that movie? Okay. I know you didn't read the book. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> so Moses had two of when they get back after they get stopped in the Red Sea they do not want to cross the Red Sea it's a big sea we're going to build a boat we're going to walk around we're going to all sort of discuss and all of a sudden the people come on up to Moses they say Moses we've got a major problem Pharaoh changed his mind what are we going to do Moses says I don't know man I've got to go talk to God to find out so Moses goes and talks to God comes back and he says okay here's the plan man here's what God wants I'm going to stand up on this rock I'm going to take this staff and I'm going to wave the staff over the Red Sea they don't know how this is going to work, but the Red Sea is just going to part. It's going to part like that. I know it's going to water now, but when it parts, the, the ground's going to be dry. Okay? Now, all of it's going to mar- now there were 3 million. There were 3,713,604. A lot of people didn't know that. Okay? I know that. All it, 3 million. It's going to march the Red Sea, and when Pharaoh comes after to get us, the water's going to fall down and drown him. Then he ain't got a plan. <laughs> Now he's got a consultant in there. He's got his medical consultant. He's got his psychiatric consultant. He's got his engineering consultant. He's got his legal consultant. And of course, he's got his PR consultant in there, okay? And the medical consultant says, oh God, Moses, rotten plan. Moses never worked. Bad plan. Moses, we are old people. These old people, they got asthma problems. Moses, okay, I don't care if it's dry ground, you stack that water. If it's going to be humid and make those old people march through, that asthma is going to try kill Moses' rotten (laughs) plan. and try it Moses it won't work Moses the psychiatrist says Moses forget about old people how they're going to die okay but what about the youngsters what about the youngsters here these children oh my God you do you realize the psychological trauma you start that water you make them much to you about water that's going to scar them emotionally hell we're I mean, not conforming to an emotion to get them through the rest of their life. <laughs> and the young guy says Moses
1: what
0: plan. can't do it Pound, pounds per square it won't work Legal, legal consultant says, Moses, we got immigration problems. That's a foreign country. Foreign country with all this mess back. We ain't going on. Only on Moses' side? Public mm-hmm. Drayson's guy. Mm-hmm. Moses, baby. <laughs> Love that plan.
1: <laughs>
0: you pull that off? I can promise you five pages in Genesis. <laughs> makes it a miracle. You know? <laughs> I, was there, I was sitting in Reno, Nevada. I moved from Reno, Nevada to Salt Lake City or, or to uh, Dallas, Texas in 83. Been sold about a year and a half. February 1 of 83. I moved by UPS. Okay? <laughs> well, what happened? I just been living in my car, okay? And uh, I threw a rod through the engine, so I packed everything I owned up into three boxes. And I called the UPS. They picked them up and I shipped them to my sister. And then I hitchhiked from Reno, Nevada to Salt Lake City. And then I flew for $99 one way to Dallas, Texas. And hit Dallas, Texas February 1, 1983. And my whole life came together in Dallas. It was incredible. It actually came together in Reno while I was living in my car. I just didn't know it. And that's a whole other story we don't have time for. But, uh, so I'm living in, in, in Dallas, Texas. My whole life, I, get it, I get got my sponsor in Dallas. I took my fourth step in Dallas I never taken my fourth step I went through all the other steps in Dallas, Texas I got married in Dallas, Texas got back in the insurance business in Dallas, Texas got divorced in Dallas, Texas <laughs> and I mean this was an, an incredible experience and what was that divorce was interesting okay because I had assumed I was about eight years old, and I had assumed when you are sober and I thought going to be no pain there'll be no sorrow the will be wonderful and you'll get rich now nobody told me that but that's what I assumed okay and so I'm going through this divorce, I'm in a lot of pain. And they said, I need to work with others. Okay? So I started working with others, started going to a lot of newcomers meeting and working with others. Give my business card to these people. And they, and they start calling you. And they call you on the phone, you know? And uh, they say, I need to come by and see you, because uh, I, you know, I have some core issues that we're going to have to get If you're going to help me, you need to help me with my, some of my core issues. And I didn't know what they're talking about. I said, I don't know what, what, what do you mean your core issues? Well, it has to do with my family of origin. I, I don't know what that is.
1: <laughs>
0: your family of origin? Yes, you're going to have to help me, because I, you really need to understand, you're going to help me that I come from a very dysfunctional family. And because of that, it's led to a real abandonment issues that never have been resolved
1: <laughs>
0: and because of that I never had any proper role models to help me set any boundaries hmm. and because of that it's led to a total sex addiction just driving me absolutely crazy <laughs> I listen I'm exhausted we're going be on the phone five minutes and I'm exhausted I like, think, man, we got some problems going on. And so these guys come over to the house and they, they come over and they've got all this stuff they want to talk, and they've got these books that they got out of the treatment centers. And, and and I have no idea what they're talking about. They're on these new designer drugs that are going to help them, and I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to criticize that kind of stuff. And I don't know what's going on. And and so they give me these books to read. And I want to tell you something. You want to take some of those books coming out of there? You say, what will happen you'll relate because what they've done very very simply is this they've taken the disease of alcoholism and compartmentalized it okay so that there are different compartments you're depressed now depression is part of the disease of alcohol i mean no kidding you're depressed (laughs) you've been drinking a depressant for 20 years and you're surprised about that (laughs) Amazing! <laughs> you know? But they say a lot of stuff, and they're doing this stuff, and I'm, I'm do it, and they're talking about it, and I'm not getting well. I'm in a lot of pain, and I'm sick. I go to my sponsor, and I'm telling him, I said, my program is not working. It's not working. And he looks at me and he says, well, why don't you try ours?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and then he asked me some little simple questions. how many guys under a year you sponsor? I said, 14? <laughs> he said, any of them getting well? I said, no, I'm getting sick. <laughs> <laughs> then he asked me a little simple question. He said, well, are you passing on to them the same simple program of AA that was passed on to you? And I wasn't. And I had to go back to those guys and make them in and say, listen you guys, I don't know how to get well the way you're doing it. I don't know how to get well the way I got well in alcoholics and And I don't want anybody to leave here tonight after you've been so nice to invite me up here and not know the program of A that was passed on to me. Because that's what I'm responsible for, see? It's to pass on to you the same program that was passed on to me. That's what I'm responsible for. And when I sit in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we have people, I know you probably don't have them up here in Oklahoma, but we have some meetings down there where they'll want to bring up issues, talk about how they've learned, what their therapist has them do to control their anger and their anger therapy management, and this and that. I don't get mad at them. I really don't. I get mad at guys like me, because, see, I know better. I know better than that. they wouldn't let me do that, they said, John, in 1935, there was a revolution of therapy for alcoholism. It totally changed 180 degrees. See, before 1935, what they said is, let's go back and find out why this alcoholic thinks the way he thinks. Once we know why he thinks that way, then we can change that thinking. When he thinks different, he'll act different. That was what they did for alcoholism before 1935. Let's find out why they think that way. We're going to control that thinking. They'll change the thinking. They'll act different. 1935, Bill Wilson, Dr. Boss said, we hey, don't care what you think. We know you're crazy. so you think that stuff all you want it don't matter but while you're thinking that take this action go do this and if you do this you're going to feel better and you'll act different but we change our actions first that's what we do in AA changing your thinking first of why you think that way doesn't matter I'm sorry, for alcoholism, it doesn't matter. That didn't work before 1935, and it doesn't work in 2000. What we do in AA is we are not a support group. Sorry. Now we get a lot of support here. But what the program is, is a design for living. I don't call my sponsor to find out how to manage my life better. That's not what we do in AA. What we do in AA is we call our sponsors to learn how to surrender our life. And there's a big difference. I have guys come up all the time saying, what should I tell her? Well, it's called the truth. (laughs) Well, how do I phrase that? (laughs) You didn't go to work today, you went to the movie instead. Well, why? Because you're selfish. She's not going to understand. No shit. But she hurt my feelings. That's why I went to the movie. Oh. Tell them the truth. You know? Now, all that only applies if you really believe in God and miracles. If you really believe that, yeah, this program's based on God. And that God himself is going to take care of you. So maybe that's, maybe, yeah, John, there's a God, and he loves us, but he's not personally going to get involved in our lives. He's not personally going to help us. Come on, man. There's I've like, sitting there at Dallas North years ago. That's about two years sober. Three years sober. I'm at Dallas North, birthday night, 200 people at birthday night at Dallas North. Big group. And after the birthday night, I'm going to leave, leave the girls. It's about 11 o'clock. Joanne's working in front of comes up, she's got the slip she says this lady called from San Antonio okay down San Antonio her, her, her son lives here in Dallas and he's suicidal he's been drinking for two weeks and drugging for two weeks hasn't slept and he's got a gun he's going to kill himself can you go help this 12-step call I said I want to talk to her first so I called her in San Antonio she had called information got A's phone number to give her Dallas North so I told her that I said what's the deal with your son she said, he started crying she said he called me he wants help but he couldn't he's so disoriented he's been up for two weeks drinking and drugging he hadn't slept at all couldn't find A's phone number so he called me he could remember his mama's number called me and asked me to call A to have him help could you go help my son he's got a gun he's going to kill himself if you don't get some help I can't get up there please so I called him on the phone told him who was said? you want some help he said yeah I do he said, I called you buddy he said I don't know how to find his phone number I couldn't find it in the book I'm so disoriented I man I'm really disoriented I said well, what's your address we'll come see you and then he got screwed he said I can't tell you he said I don't know. I, mean, I can tell you my address but you'll never find me man it's no use I only live on a street two blocks long it's not even in it's not even in the map school. you can't ever find me I can't tell you how to get here I'm too screwed up to give you directions I might as well just kill myself I said give me your goddamn address so again, his address. It was on Dome Street. Okay, now I've told this story for 17 years. Once a month in Dallas, Texas to a group of Alcoholics Anonymous when so I do the steps. So 17 years. Once a month, I've told this story. And every time I ask those drunks in Dallas, does anybody know where Dome Street is? Huh? Nobody in 17 years has known where Dome Street is. It's only two blocks long. Very small street. It's hard to find. If you don't know where Dome street, you know... But see, I know where Dome Street is. I know right where Dome Street is. I, in fact, I have a client that lives on Dome Street. He not lives on Dome Street. He is literally the next-door neighbor, the guy making the phone call. I said, well, I know right where you are. I'll be there in five minutes. I've got the guy sponsored. sponsor. We went on to make the 12-step call. That's just a coincidence. God ain't going to do that. That's not the way God. God's not going to put just the right person at just the right time with just the right information since God works through people. And our lives to help is he? that's not that's not that's just a coincidence right you know the odds of that the odds of a lady in San Antonio calling directory information wanting AA we're like what 100 groups in Dallas and they pick Dallas North 200 people I'm 10 years sober and John gives me the 12 step call and I know where Dome Street is you know the odds of all that I'm a gambler right Well, <laughs> oh, sure I don't want to bet on that yeah that'll, that'll happen every time you know <laughs> just a coincidence I wouldn't worry about that it's like really we're well after that I'm getting ready to go on an airplane I'm going out to California on business I get out there at 9 o'clock in the morning DFW the plane's been delayed ain't okay, no big jag in my coffee sit down they come back and say this plane's been cancelled man the plane's broke can't fix the plane but there's a plane leaving two gates down going to California leaves in 20 minutes there's 17 seats left well a hundred of us ruined down put putting on <laughs> I'm the second last guy to get on the plane. I get on the plane, I go back to the plane. This is when you can smoke. So i show you how long ago it was. So I go back to the smoking section. There's one seat in the smoking section. Right next to the window. And then right next to that seat, there's this good-looking guy in a red dress. <laughs> Never forget that red dress. God is working in my life today. You know? <laughs> so I sit down. And this girl starts talking. And she's a chatter, a bad seat, man. She's a chatterbox. Back the back I just chatter. I've not had enough coffee for this woman. Okay? so she shuts down. the plane takes off she shuts up she pulls out her needle point. she's needle pointing I look over she's needle pointing and it's the serenity prayer I thought, my turn so I said what are you doing there she said, oh, she said, yeah, she's all nothing she's actually real nervous she doesn't want to show it she's real nervous I said what are you I said, needle pointing I said I know you're needle pointing but what are you needle pointing she went and goes up and she says well it's the serenity prayer and I said oh man are you one of those Jesus freaks
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: she goes no no and she said, but I'm trying to be spiritual. And I said, really? Yeah, she able to. Now I'm watching. She knows I'm watching. Right? So she's a little nervous. Her hands are sweaty. I finally said, you can do that real fast. I know my mama told me I shouldn't do it. I said, why? So I'm real compulsive. I said, no kidding. She said, yeah. She said, I thought, I better stop this poor gal before she breaks a finger, you know? So I finally said, man, wait a man, if that's the serenity prayer, you're trying to be spiritual and you've got this compulsive personality. I said, you must, you must be a friend of Bill Wilson's boy, she stopped and sighed. She said, yeah. Are you? I said, no.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> See, it's a funny look at everything. I said, you died before I got sober. I mean, <laughs> I uh, had two years sober this was her first trip outside Dallas in sobriety she also had her first drunk dream the night before and was scared death she could me in California for two weeks on business on a on training school didn't know a thing of anybody AAs out there was scared death this drunk dream we had her all up. so we had a great three hour meeting driving out there flying out there great cried a little bit laughed a little bit she said to me she said can you believe this she i trying to quit smoking she believed God would have me sit up there and then I was nervous, I said, move back here, when they announced they were going to let you people on. Can you believe God would have me move back here, just to sit by you? And I said, hell, it can my whole plan to get me to come over here. I
1: said,
0: to come on John, that's not real, that's just a quick, God ain't really going to do that. God's not going to do that. That's just a coincidence. He's not going to put just the right person at just the right time with just the right people since God works through people. No, God ain't going to do that. That's just a coincidence. He's not really going to cancel a plane for you to make a 12-step call. Come on, get off of it. Very well. On. So, 1990, December. I'm down at the border conference in Del Rio, Texas. And the Del Rio, Texas conference, I'm down there and here's this small conference. Maybe 70 people attend that conference. I meet this gal, Dottie, Dottie E, from Connecticut on her badge. I said, Dottie, what are you doing in Del Rio, Conne- Del Rio Texas, from Connecticut? So I'm on my way to see my husband. He's in the Navy. He's in the in the Navy. And he's in San Diego. And we stayed the night, and we we're gonna go this morning. And we we're gonna leave. And then I thought, like, let's just spend the day in Del Rio. So I called AA. They told me about this conference. I came to the conference. I said, Okay, welcome to Texas. So I spoke Saturday night. I'm getting ready after I got through talking. Dottie comes up to me, gives me a hug, and she heard my story. She said, you grew up in Utah. I said, yeah. Do you have any relatives in Orm, Utah? I said, well, I grew up in Orm, Utah. She said, well, by any chance, are you related to Mark and Betty Joe?" I said, well, they're my parents. <laughs> and Dottie starts to cry and throws her arm around me. She tells what her last name is, and she said, Bobby. Is my husband. Now see, Bobby and I are cousins, first cousins. He's three days older than me. We grew up together. When we turned 18, I went on to college. Bobby joined the Navy. I'd seen him one time in 18 years. Okay? Didn't know he was in AA. They met in AA. They got married. He was in San Diego in the Navy. She had been living in Connecticut. She was on her way to divorce him. Because so Bobby got drunk two years after they were sober, after they got married he was drunk that night we called him that night he was drunk he had a real God problem we grew up in the same faith and it was a real God problem for him that cracked a little window there and we made a close-up call okay Bobby today is going on nine years sober you know that's just a coincidence isn't it God ain't gonna do that he's not gonna put just the right person at just the right time with just the right information in our lives to help us is he You know the odds of that? She's in Connecticut. He's in San Diego. I'm in Dallas. And I meet a woman I've never met that's married to my first cousin after 18 years just because she decided to stay in Del Rio. (laughs)
1: Oh,
0: yeah, that'll happen, won't it? You know? It's just a coincidence, isn't it? uh, About four years ago, I was at the Hawaiian State Convention. November. Then one day I got a phone call my dad had died in Salt Lake and we couldn't it was Friday we couldn't get off the island until Saturday they postponed the funeral he actually got on Thursday and they waited until Monday to bury him and it took me to, we got off the island on Sunday Patsy was with me we got off the island on Sunday and we had to come back a weird way we had to go to San Francisco have a four and a half hour layover and go from San Francisco back to Dallas from Dallas to Houston then from Houston back it's all right. lake took us 24 hours to get there and i got there sunday and we buried my dad monday and uh tuesday i'm leaving to go back I had to go back to dallas for some business and my son dropped me off at of the airport because he had to go to work he was living there he dropped me off about 12:30, and that was really the first time i was alone since i found out about my dad and i'm alone and i'm tired been up on that plane ride and been up doing this and that trying to take care of some business help my mom out support her and I'm tired. You know, I'm sitting in this Fox City airport. And I started in that valley where I started thinking, what on earth were you doing in Hawaii when your dad died? Why weren't you out there in Utah when he died? Now, my dad had, had a heart attack too much prior to that, and I'd been out there, but then he got well, and I thought everything was okay, and I talked to him. But you know what? We knew I'm going to make it. We knew it was just a matter of time, weeks maybe. What am I doing in Hawaii? Why wasn't I a better son? Why didn't I go see my dad and be with him when he died what is this a crack this podium rhetoric stuff that i got i'm up there i'm just talking and is this just the ego kick i'm on why don't i go see my dad i'm a terrible i started in that valley beating myself up you know how drunks can beat themselves up and right when i'm starting to do it really good there's a page comes over the intercom and it says would a friend of bill w's pick up the white paging phone now I know you probably heard that page a lot in the airport.
1: <laughs> I never heard
0: that page. <laughs> you know? yeah. I started laughing. I thought that son of a bitch thinks he's the one that needs the twelve-step car. <laughs> so, I, uh, I met this guy from Chicago. You know, his dad had died a year prior to that. We had a great hour meeting before my plane left. You know, and he just told me, you know, I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. God's in charge. You're right where you're supposed to be. If you were supposed to be somewhere else, you'd be there. You know? You're right where you're supposed to be. I said, that guy, I said, you make a lot of those calls? He said, I've never done that before in my life.
1: <laughs>
0: he said, I just had an hour and a half to clear up all I if there's any drunks around. <laughs> now, that's just a coincidence. And God ain't going to do that. God ain't going to put just the right person at just the right time with just the right information in our lives to help us, is he? It? It's just a coincidence, isn't it? Now, I share that story because I know in this meeting tonight there's somebody and maybe more than one they're in a lot of pain. You know? In a lot of pain. and it doesn't seem to matter whether you're sober 30 days or 19 years. Sometimes it's like you crawl over the edge of the precipice and you look into the abyss and you don't know, you're scared to death and you think sobriety really sucks. And do you really believe this stuff? Do you really believe that God himself is going to take care of you? Or is that just podium rhetoric we hear about? And if that's where you are today, then please borrow my God until you can find a power of your own that will solve your problem. Because I've borrowed you guys with God a lot. And the God of my understanding today is totally committed to you and to your happiness and to your sobriety. And the God of my understanding today is willing to go to any lengths to see that you make it. I used to think that was a one-way deal. You used to think we had to be run to go to any lengths to get sober. I know today that God Himself... Is willing to go to any lengths to see that you get it. We got an incredible deal. We have the only program, we have the only disease whose recovery from was designed by God Himself. And God Himself is intimately involved in your recovery. What a deal we got. It's an incredible thing. And if you need to borrow my guide, because I know I know what God's going to, I don't know how, I I don't know when God's going to help you. But I know how God is going to help you. What God is going to do, no matter what kind of jackpot you're in, He's going to put just the right person at just the right time with just the right information in your life to help you. Because God works through people. And I love you and I appreciate it. Let me come up here and share. Thank you.